Welcome to the ONS Energy Talks, a podcast where you meet experts on energy, technology, and sustainability. Hello, and welcome to a Learn and, po- and ONS podcast uh, in our series about energy talks. My name is Sylvia Seres. Our topic is energy. And my guest today is Jens Ultweitmo, a CEO of the energy corporation Umue. Welcome, Jens. Good morning. Pleased to be here. Jens, uh, we're going to be talking about your um, new and old investments in the field of energy and your refocus, total refocusing, I would say, on uh, renewable. Bef- uh- Yeah, that's right. Before I, uh, we before we get there, I would like you to say a few words about who Jens is. Well, Jens is a Norwegian and as such extremely fortunate. I have had the great fortune of following the Norwegian oil miracle, uh, both as a citizen and as a businessman, from the bottom and all the way up. And, in due, and with the money I made there, converting it into renewables. So in a way my business career is very typical of what's happening in Norway. I, I, I had went to university in Norway, then in the US, McKinsey, learned a lot abroad, took it back to Norway. And as I came back to Norway mid 80s I had a, an advantage having that international background and could use that in the oil industry. That was great fun. <laughs> So so tell us a little bit about uh, Umo. How did you start it and how did you uh, build it? I started Umo 35 years ago in 1984. I invested all the $8,000 in it. We were 12 employees. And I started out with tankers, shuttle tankers taking oil from uh, offshore installations ashore for what was then Statoil. I bought more and more into the oil uh, industry, both with Haugesund Mechanische Werkstedt, which I, where I built uh, pl- built and maintained platforms in um, oil and gas. I went to the seismic PGS. I went to s- services Harding. You know, I had by the year 2000 quite a substantial operation all over the oil industry. And the money kept pouring in most of the time. Occasionally, it also all went out. I was following the oil price. It it was an exciting and quite wild ride. So, so tell us a little bit more about how does one just start an energy company? You said all of $8,000 and you, you bought some tankers and you had 12 people. How, how does one do that? Or how did one do that? Maybe the time is over now. <laughs> Well, at that time, it was very easy to raise money in Norway. There was plenty of money, and the tax rates were extremely high. Tax advantage of investing in tankers was huge. And so I raised quite a lot of money uh, (coughs) on investment schemes, uh, whose main purpose it was to save taxes, not to invest in tankers. So I got the money, I invested in tankers, and uh, it grew very nicely. And in a way, the combination of extremely high tax rates on individuals and an oil uh, miracle outside our door really made it quite easy to start with the 
start with the vessels. I had no money, but in short term, I, I could buy quite a few ships at a hundred million at about a, at that time about forty million dollars a piece. In due course, it was a hundred million dollars a piece. So that that grew quite nicely, and also of course Statoil and the other companies on the on the Norwich shelf had great demand for transport, and I was right in the middle of it with shuttle tankers. So you you were very good at basically noticing a market opportunity, and perhaps also a hole in the market. And there was a financial setup at the time, so this is also about reading economics and macroeconomics correctly. Do you think there are similar opportunities today? Yes, there are. <clears throat> there are always opportunities. Just a matter of seeing them, and they do change over time. At that time, the tax angle was very important in raising money. Uh, today, that is not so anymore. Uh, Norway has a completely changed tax system. Today, to my mind, uh, the great opportunity is coming from the big change that has to come in Norway and Europe on, uh, on CO2 emissions. Norway has made an agreement with the EU to reduce emissions by 40% by uh, 2030. That's Norwegian uh, emissions. <coughs> well, all the EU emissions should be reduced. Norway has reduced by 40%. And that's an enormous change in society. Uh, a change uh, that most people think that agreements on that has been made lots of times. Then you come up to the deadline and they changed. That won't work this time. Because now it's with the EU, and they have discipline, and and uh, and they will force countries to meet uh, meet up to, to the obligations, and that will make big changes in Norwegian society. So basically, it's reducing carbon emissions, but also doing carbon capture and carbon carbon related market uh, activities. Well, well, the interesting thing, it's it's not just energy; it's entire society. For example, agriculture is a big emitter. Uh, red meat. It is <coughs> buildings, uh, 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 which is a ma- major part of uh, emissions, and of course also on on the straight energy side. So it's a good uh, dug, nad. Yeah, that that it, is required. Yeah, and it has to be, because we do not have coal. We start with clean electricity. So for us to reduce by 40% is way tougher than for, say, Poland or Germany to it. Who are uh, still very dependent on coal. That's right. Germany has 44% uh, coal. And to cut that to 20 is basically not all... Uh, is, is physically quite easy to do with gas. It's politically very hard to do. And that is a mm-hmm. problem. Uh, for us in Norway... We really have to do very fundamental changes in the society to do it in transportation, in electric cars, in, in the same same with ships, hydrogen, and 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 for example, um, building sites have to be totally emission free, and you have to have electric uh, digging machines all over. Uh, I I have in. Um, Umo around 400 restaurants, and we see that <coughs> see there that on food and food waste, there's a big things that has to be done, and and I had never ever thought that food was something that was important for emissions. It is in fact very important. Not just the cows. 
and meat no no the cultures of course they red, red meat but one third of all food is wasted yeah that of course is a great deal of energy wasted and can also be converted um, uh, <coughs> and and you have shifting from meat from red meat uh, to to chicken and and uh, other uh, and fish and yeah. so and who would have thought that that would be a big thing of an energy change yeah it's a very very complex problem and it's a problem that's therefore very difficult to to explain in purely monetary terms and i'm also wondering if you have uh, you have uh, pivoted uh, what shall i say as a personal view on the world as well there have been some interesting comments in um, the media from you about um, you know um, 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 well uh, really a change of heart i have a feeling that before it was an obvious financial optimization problem uh, now it is a more long term strategic political social game for you I'm, I'm trying to say that you have suddenly, not suddenly really, but you, you have been one of our most ambitious investors in silicium-based solar technology a long time ago. But, but your extreme focus on renewables now is new to me. Uh, but not to me. <laughs> <laughs> I started um, some 15 years ago. I read the IPCC's third report on the climate change. IPCC? Some sort the, of international... That's the, the, uh, the, the UN, UN Climate Agency. Okay. And they concluded that it, uh, the global warming was a big challenge to humanity and something had to be done. And, and the it, numbers were such that you believed them? The numbers were, to me, very convincing. Uh, at the time, they, I think, had 60% probability that it was uh, human-created. Uh, now they say 95. Now the facts really have come out I extremely convincing. I was convinced and scared at, uh, at the ch this challenge to humanity. I also thought that a big change in the energy system, which is sort of the, the, the backbone of any modern industrial society, would give business opportunities. And so I sold off my oil assets and decided to go into renewables. And I thought that the change would come quite quickly. I was wrong. This is when you, when you did all the investments in uh, PV and uh, yeah, ethanol? I, I, I invested uh, in, uh, first of all, uh, in, uh, in bioenergy, uh, a big operation in Brazil, uh, sugar, cane, ethanol, which is what the cars in Brazil run on. I bought into a big uh, forestry operation in um, in Canada, where I think timber is a replacement of cement is important. And I was quite interested in uh, PV, photovoltaic. Uh, but it was too early. Uh, uh, the prices were extremely high, and uh, I, I kept an eye on it with a view to coming in uh, when the prices were more reasonable. That, of course, happened. Uh, my fantasy was really, uh, I, I was quite excited when I first learned about PV. It is magical. It's the closest thing we have to perpetuum mobile. The photons come from the sun, absolutely free, they come in enormous numbers, and out of that you have a little panel, and out comes electricity. It's magical. Marginal cost zero, 
uh, and, uh, and it stays on and and, and it's, no clean. Scene. it's clean <laughs> so so uh, but at the time it was expensive of course what has happened since is is in terms of the climate magical uh, solar power is now cheaper than coal and that is a major achievement of uh, human ingenuity so it's human ingenuity but also some very interesting state um, funding I think China has uh, been actually quite impressive in their way to focus on some new sort. I mean, they are desperate for cleaning up their own um, uh, micro and, 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 and bigger climate issues in all the cities. And now what they've done in solar, I think, was interesting, both as a competitive act, but also as an efficiency act. What they've done in solar has been very important for human, humanity, perfectly rotten for the European PV industry. German subsidies created this industry. Uh, then uh, China took over. They didn't have much technical um, invent, uh, inventions, but they increased the scale enormously, and consequently the cost dropped. So they, the China has taken that ball and, and created competitive energy out of solar. And and. and Amazingly, and and the, the 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 cost just keeps dropping. Now the newest uh, solar plants has a cost of two cent. That's below Norwegian uh, hydropower. Two cent per. Two cent per kilowatt hour. Per kilowatt hour. Yeah. And they can produce quite a lot now. Of course they can. I mean, uh, the, the the challenge here is not technical; it's political. Why uh, is it political? Because it's quite sensitive in lots of countries to have it. I mean, and if I think something like a hundredth of Sahara covered with PV panels would create all the energy we need in the world, Sahara is not a very politically safe place. And, 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 and of course, you have the transmission cost as well. But my point is that even in, even in Northern Europe now, uh, Netherlands, uh, uh, England, uh, photovoltaics is cheaper than alternative power, yeah. alternative source of electricity. And there are quite a lot of unused uh, sea surfaces where one could do floating stuff. Or do you believe in that? Very much so. In fact, uh, in, in my office, uh, I have a company, uh, Ocean Sun, which does exactly that. Uh, uh, they, they have a floating uh, surface on which they pl place the the panels and it seems to work damn well. It is an additional advantage. The water cools down the panels which makes them more efficient. So it's, 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 a, it's a wonderful solution. And I'm sure that we'll find very robust solutions for you know making this work in all kinds of uh, sea weather and the transmission. Yes. Uh, of course you have <coughs> having it next to uh, salmon uh, uh, salmon racing uh, which uses a lot of energy, currently diesel power. Uh, now, when that is PVs, you save all the emissions from the, from the uh, diesel generators. It's very exciting. Very exciting. What are your uh, most, uh, what shall I say, interesting own projects? Could you say a couple of words, a couple of sentences about the concrete projects that you are most uh, fascinated by? Well, of course, I have the one in Brazil I talked about. That why, why? Tell us why Brazil and why sugar canes? Sugar cane is um, a very efficient converter of sun power to uh, floating energy. 
uh, and it's it's uh, at par with the photovoltaics, and Brazil has perfect conditions for it. Uh, I produce there about a million liters of ethanol a day, and save uh, emissions equivalent to about 11% of the Norwegian petrol-driven uh, fleet of cars. And this is renewable? Oh, this is definitely renewable. Uh, the, 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 it reduces CO2 emissions by 70%, and the cars in, in Brazil are run on it. That works, that works a treat. Technically, uh, it is interesting, very challenging from an agricultural point of view. That is really the high-tech part of it. For example... We cannot let the drive humans drive the tractors, and that is in an almost developing country, because they're not precise enough. That our tractors all run uh, on GPS uh, robots. Um, so, so that that's that's not uh, technically exciting. Uh, Rexilicon it's technically quite exciting. There we make uh, polysilicon, which is the input factor on uh, on solar cells. And have a superior uh, 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 um, REC is one of these fairy tales from Norway in the space of renewable energy. It is indeed. Uh, It it was really developed in Norway based on Norwegian material technology. And uh, uh, first of all, it did that into polysilicon. And then we developed a better process. Uh, and we today use less energy, less water, uh, and consequently have much cheaper output of polysilicon than the competing processes. All of it is technology developed in uh, in Norway. I was I was fascinated by why why from Norway. Somebody was telling me, you know, we have lots of really clean water up there, wherever the first factories were, some somewhere up north. I forget. Well, yeah, Glomfjord. But but. but what you're saying really is we have really good material technologists as well. We do. And that has been basically outcome of the cheap hydroelectric power, which, which is used for reducing the input, uh, uh, input uh, sources to uh, MGS uh, and uh, the silicon uh, products that Elkem had. And out of that came uh, uh, polysilicon, uh, which we do with the silane gas, and that is um, the cheap, uh, the, the cleanest product on the face of the globe. Is ninety nine point nine niners clean, it, um, and that that is a great achievement. And it works. Boy, does it work! <laughs> <laughs> it works wonderfully. So, so um, you see, you mentioned Elkem now. You. Um, didn't mention, but I was sitting here and wondering why aren't you the main investor in Borigor? And, you know, companies like that, that take something that is very renewable and make something absolutely wonderful out of it that the whole process industry of the world needs. Something strong about that in Norway. Yes, it is. Uh, uh, and Borigor, of course, are in the forefront of using uh, uh, the output from the forest and do so on the chemical field. I didn't do that because I had a, a, a quite a big uh, forestry operation in Canada. Uh, but Borigor is is uh, we've talked. I've talked to Borigor about uh, using the bagasse from my operation in uh, in uh, Brazil so as an input to their process here. Uh, and people are working quite hard now to see what else we could do of renewable energy out of forestry. It is, however, quite challenging. 
because the trees grow quite slowly in Norway. In a year in Brazil, on, on one hectare, I have 80 tons of uh, biomass. In the Norwegian forest, the same number is four tons. Mm. So the difference is 20 times. But, but Jens, can I then ask you, um, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here and thinking he's a, he's a Norwegian, Norwegian, Norwegian. Yet, you know, I think it's his uh, studies and his travels that make him able to see these extreme strengths in Norway. Uh, the way that you talk about, you know, what Norway is really good at sounds to me almost like when, you know, a, f- uh, a foreigner comes in and gets enthralled with the country. So what, what I really want to ask you, is there other stuff that we could exploit the same way in Norway uh, with your uh, insider-outsider view? I'm thinking krill. I'm thinking algae. I'm thinking all this stuff that's in the sea. Are there ways of producing both food and energy out of this stuff? That, that we haven't explored well enough yet. You must basically look at the competitive position of the country, which is the skills in it, and the, the exchange rate. Norway was very competitive in the 90s, and competitive from 2000 to 2010, because the, the krona was too valuable. Now it's competitive again. So that means it's very interesting. I mean, you, you have everything from the sea. You, of course, have wind power, uh, where we have a huge resource, uh, 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 and where, from the point of view of climate change, it's almost criminal, to my mind, not to utilize it. Um, so, uh, and and then we have um, uh, the oceans, as as you mentioned. Obviously, a lot can be done there. I I have um, biological growth onshore in Brazil. I think um, uh, the sea. Is a better environment actually for growing biological mass than land. That is obviously coming. Let's do something fun about that. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you also mentioned. I know we we are running out of time. Um, uh, you, I, I just want you to clarify one thing for me. You also talked about nanotechnology related to solar. So materials technology, in my mind, is sort of advanced chemistry, but it's more than that, no? Yes, it is. <laughs> and uh, in Norway, we have uh, Sintef. If uh, we have nanotechnology at the University of Oslo. And of course, I have one company uh, doing nanotechnology or <laughs> developing. We're thinking we will do a better solar cell by having gallium arsenide nano wires on top of the normal cells, and in which case we will get the 30% efficiency of it. That is a development company, but it just shows what you can do by advanced science into uh, into renewable energy field. And um, I've been quite impressed by what Norwegian research institutions are doing on this. Um, but I think they're somewhat slow in making it into a commercial reality. So and it's commercialization we need to... Uh, that's right. And, and I think it, it is a very important uh, and challenging and interesting job to be done there. Yes. Um, listen, you have... Um you have um, focused extremely on renewable energy. Um, you have a, a quote you mentioned to me that I think is wonderful that I'd like you to repeat. I, th- I think um, it applies both to the attitude to climate change uh, uh, and uh, to, to the energy. I always love it when Keynes said, uh, when facts change, I change my mind. What do you do? And it seems to me lots of people 
have seen facts change on climate and do nothing. That is uh, an absence of logical thinking, and it maybe it more shows an unwillingness to draw the conclusions from the obvious stuff that you see. It's hard to change. We humans dislike it. And this is a problem also for our politicians because they run on programs created for the past, not necessarily for the future. So uh, what, what do we do to help them adjust the politics for the new facts? A politician wants to be re-elected. And to be re-elected, you have to uh, live up to the expectations of the electorate. The electorate, half of it, couldn't care less about climate change or renewable energy. And so we must start the change downwards and up. And that basically means starting with young people, they are the ones who will inherit the earth as well, whatever is left when you have climate change coming. And their, their awareness of it is strong, so we must start there and get them to have a pleasure down, down, upwards on the, <coughs> the politicians to get action on climate. I say just amen to that, Jens. I think uh, this is a, um, the future should not be a party for the specially invited who have, you know, taken the, the task uh, to themselves to learn about it. I think we need to basically inspire everybody to have both the skills that makes their opinions relevant, but also the mindset that this is still worth doing. There's still a chance. And then the appetite for adventure, as maybe it's not important to have the cash to support it as well. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming here to inspire us about uh, energy. Jens Ultweitmo, uh, the, the CEO of UMO. 